we are starting our psalm mixtape summer favorite psalm thing here. If you're new, my name's Steve. We're delighted to have you. We decided this summer to take some of our favorite psalms and to, to kind of walk through them. And you're sitting there going, oh, psalms, right? Okay, I get it. That's me. I'm not a poetic guy. That's not how I think very literally. So all the, you know, the metaphors and the pictures, it, it doesn't work for me. But I can remember where this psalm, Psalm 1, started to work for me. I was a freshman in high school, and I be, uh, they introduced this new program. They tried it the year before. They kind of liked it. They rolled it out. It was my first year to be able to go. It was called SMI, Student Missionary Internship. Maybe you've heard of it. And one of the things you do besides studying the Bible and learning how to share your faith and running Bible schools is you had to memorize Scripture. And so one of the first scriptures we had to memorize was Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. And I went, man, that is cool. That speaks. And so that's what I want to take today and it kind of is kind of sets off the rest of the book of Psalms. So if you're in Psalm 1, now before we do that, though, I want to give you some background to the Psalms, stuff that maybe you never knew, something that maybe you wish you'd never had learned, but you're going to learn it today, right? A couple things. The name Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmos, so it's almost like a transliteration of that, which translate the Hebrew word, which obviously uh, Psalms were written in Hebrew, mizmer. And and if you look, so if, it's not in chapter 1, it's not in chapter 2, but if you skip over to chapter 3, you'll see there's a little title sentence before you get to verse 1. And it says, a psalm, mizmer by the way, that's the word there, of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So... Throughout the book of Psalms, some have titles, and 57 times this word mizmer is used. So it just kind of became to refer to all of these little uh, pieces, and so this whole work became known as the book of Psalm. What psalm means is a song of praise. Mizmer actually has the idea of a song with stringed instruments, when uh, in Christianity, it really just became more the idea of, of, of a song. And so uh, as you read through them, sometimes you'll even see some of the songs that you've sung over the years comes from this. What's interesting is the author. So we know David wrote quite a few. We know Solomon. But the authorship of Psalm ranges really over a period of about a thousand years. So, for instance, the first author we know was Moses, Psalm 90. It says, a psalm of Moses. He lived and wrote about 1400 B.C. We also know that it goes all the way through not only uh, Israel being in a land, David, Solomon, all of their sons as they reign, but actually as they go into captivity in Babylon, which was what, 586 B.C., uh, by the rivers of Babylon, Psalm 137, to the, some, many of the psalm of ascent, uh, as the pilgrims would sing, they believe were actually post 
uh, exile. So you're probably in the 400 BC, so over a thousand years, 1100 years period of time. The Psalms were, were written, they were collected. They're actually divided into five internal books. So sometimes as you're reading along, it'll say, now book two, and you go, wait a minute. I thought I was in Psalm. Well, it's because internally they're actually divided into five books. And what's to me was fascinating and really helped me begin to understand the psalm is that there are lots of different types of psalm. So you, you read Psalm 1 and it goes, wow, it's great. It's a wisdom psalm. And then you'll go and you'll read like the 23rd Psalm and it reads very, very differently. Well, there's about 10 different types of Psalms. There are praise Psalms that ascribe attributes to God, the works of God, give him praise for that. There's thanksgiving, you acknowledge God's faithfulness in your life. There's lament, calling for God's help, I'm in a bad place, penance, uh, confession of sin, probably Psalm 51 is the best known of those. There's the royal Psalms that describe both the king of heaven and the earthly king of Israel. You then have the pilgrim songs, the song of ascent, right, as they would march up to Jerusalem for for one of the feasts. You have the acrostic songs, which take some of the Hebrew uh, alphabet. Probably Psalm 119 is the best known, which is also the longest song, longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, you have devotional songs about knowing God, longing, you know, as the deer panteth for the water, that type of thing. You have the wisdom songs, which tell us how to live well. <laughs> and then the imprecatory, which are i got to be honest, I have uh, prayed to the Lord a few times, like, God, get back at this person, right? You know, take down my enemies. And, and David was really good about doing that. So when you get to Psalm 1, Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's about how do you live? How blessed is the man? We don't know who the author is, but it really sets the tone for the entire, not only book of Psalm, but if you, you ever look often like in the title page of your Bible, sometimes it'll break it down, the, the wisdom books, and that's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. How do we live? Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And what it does is it contrasts the way of the righteous with the way of the wicked. So let's read it together. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along in your Bible. As I mentioned last week, I read out of the New American Standard. So here's what it says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf also does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he starts this with this idea of how blessed. The word blessed, probably the best, uh, the best word you can get to try to describe it is the word happiness. In fact, uh, 
maybe in the Hebrew language, the expression would be, oh, the happiness. It's the idea of contentment. It's the idea of satisfaction. So to take on maybe a, a more um, current term, you want to know how to live your best life now? This is it. And what he says is how blessed. And you can't help but think of when Jesus was here, remember when he gave the be attitudes, right? And he started them all. Blessed. Well, that's the idea. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. That's the idea. You want to live blessed life. This is how you do it. And what he starts with here is the idea first of what you don't do. How blessed is the man who does not. So the first piece is negative. Right? This is what you don't do. You don't, you don't uh, walk in, in the paths of the wicked, stand in the ways of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. You don't, and the idea here is you don't walk, you don't stand, you don't sit with the wisdom of the ungodly. And, and there's a path here. There's a, there's a kind of a, a devolution, right? On the one part, walking. The idea here is influence. So you, you think about how we do life and we walk. When you walk with the wicked, right, you listen, you're, you're comprehending what, what they're saying, their worldview, and then you stop and you stand and you observe and you're standing in the path of the ungodly. And then before long, you're sitting, sitting at the, in the seat of the scornful. You know, our world today loves scoffers, right? They get some of the biggest platforms that are out there, those that scoff at God, those that scoff at <laughs> Uh, cultural norms that have been around forever. I mean, I didn't see it myself, but I hear this last week, you know, just even on, uh, on Capitol Hill, you know, we're, we're now calling moms uh, birthing persons, right? Scoffers. And his whole point here is this. Don't walk in their influence. Don't, 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 Listen, don't let that uh, affect you. But it's so easy, right? In fact, you think about how we often talk about living on mission, reaching your oikos. Well, how is it that I can live on mission, try to reach those people in my life who don't know Jesus, and yet don't walk in the way of sinners, stand in the sea of the scorners and sit and listen to them? Well, he's going to tell us here in just a moment, one thing you're going to do is you're going to delight yourself in God's word. You're going, to, you're going to let the influence of the word of God nullify the influence of others. But the truth is, we also, it's one of the reasons why we talk, we need community so bad. We need one another. Because we're out there, we're all living on mission. We all have those people in our life. And so that their influence doesn't take us over and we don't start listening to the influence and the, the worldview by which they live. We now have other believers that speak into our life truth to keep us tethered to what is right. So the first thing he says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The righteous delight, this is what they do. So what they don't do is they don't walk, sit, or stand under the influence. But what they do do is they focus, they, they delight in the word of God. You know, Ben mentioned my grandkids earlier, so he brought it up, so I'm going to jump on that. But grandkids are great, right? You, you know, kids are, are good. They're fine. Mine's here just dead. You're great. That's good. But grandkids are awesome, right? Because they're so cute. They're, they're so wonderful. They go home at night, right? And, and better, the best part is, is they pay back their mom and dad for all the grief they gave you. It's just, it's fun to see. And, and this week we had our, our second uh, oldest granddaughter, Leonore. She lost her first tooth. And she's so cute. It's so great. She's coming over to our house today. Do you know what? The tooth fairy actually showed up at my house last night, left her something. It's amazing, right? <laughs> How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is his delight. He meditates on it day and night. That we study God's word. That we, we understand that our worldview and how we do life is found in the word of God. And so we read it. We study it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. What does it mean to meditate? It means to ponder. It means to consider. It means to think about, okay, so how does this affect my life? What does it mean to delight myself in the law of God, to meditate? You, you can't read Psalm 1 without it taking your mind immediately to, to God's commissioning of Joshua and Joshua 1. And, and God looks at Joshua and says, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that was written in it by, by Moses. Don't turn from it to the left or to the right. Why? So that you will make your way, what's the word? Prosperous, right? Maybe the idea of how blessed is the man. And then you will have good success, right? Kind of live your best life now. How blessed is the man who does not live and walk and sit under the influence of the ungodly, but delights himself in the law of the Lord. You know, we live in a land, we live in a time where the Word of God is so readily available to us, right? You can buy it, you can buy it on Amazon, probably have it to your house by this afternoon. You carry your phone, you got it. Go on your iPad, it's there. You're on your computer, it's there. The problem is, we don't delight in it. If there's one thing that I think 2020 in the last 15 years has showed us in America is that as believers, we can talk a good game, but when it really comes down to what does it mean to live with a Christian worldview, listen, living in the way God has told us to live, we don't do that very well. I mean, we live in this culture, and I don't have a lot of time today, but we live in this culture where 
object truth has been replaced by relativism. What's true today is, is what I feel, what I moves my heart. Yet the Christian worldview tells us, no, there's, there's objective truth. This is, this is true. And so we hit a pandemic. And we hit inflamed racial tensions. And we hit an election cycle. And across America, we begin to realize that as believers, sometimes we really struggle with the biblical worldview. We got caught all up in the motion. And all of a sudden, many believers are living with fear. A biblical worldview, you don't live with fear. God's in control. Fear not. It's the most repeated phrase in the Bible. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Love your neighbor as yourself as long as he agrees with you politically. As long as he sees the politics of the day as you see it. And if not, then you don't have to love him. You can hit back. You can be unkind. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Folks, the heart of the Christian worldview is this world is not our home. We are here on mission. Our citizenship is in heaven. And if the last 14 months has showed us anything, there's a lot of us that are holding on a little too tightly to this world. Our God is in control. We live for him and the day we will stand before him. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates by day and night. And then what happens? He says... For he will be like a tree who is planted, firmly planted by rivers of water. I love that. The idea when you think firmly planted is this isn't an accident. Have you ever driven across the, you know, you're heading to Blythe, which what a more aptly named city in all of America than Blythe, right? Because you're out there in the midst of just nothing, right? And you're driving down there and it's all this sand and it's all this rock and every once in a while you come up on this little skaggy tree that comes up out of something. You think, where did that come from? That's not this. He is firmly planted. There is intentionality. God knows right where I'm at. God has specifically put me here. There's the idea of ownership. He cares about me. He is providing all I need. By the way, he planted me by... Of the rivers of water, so all that we need, you know, in this world, as in Arizona, if something's going to grow, it's got to have water, right? So my wife likes grass, right? I would prefer probably turf, but so we have grass. <laughs> grass has to be watered. We just went through this thing. Our backyard has green grass, 
brown grass and green grass. And the reason is one of our valves went off. So now once I figured it out, you know, I'm out there, you know, all trying to hand water, right? It's got to have water. Firmly planted by rivers of water, everything that you and I need, every piece of substance, every piece of, of, of contentment. And I love the idea that it brings forth its fruit in its season. At the right time, whatever my heart needs, how blessed is the man, right? God brings forth. When, when the trials come, the patience, how blessed is the man, the right thing. See, here's the problem with early fruit. It's not always very tasty, is it? You know, our family loves cherries. I'm, I'm from the Midwest. Bing Cherries, Michigan. No offense to anybody else. That's the best. And it's a little early for them. So we're in the store the other day, and there are non-bean cherries from California. They look okay. Early season. We got them. We ate them. Yeah, they're okay. You know, nothing to write home about. Not all that juicy. But they're not being cherries in the middle of the season, right? Or yesterday, I'm, I'm going to Sam's Club. Tam says, hey, we, we, we need some fresh fruit, right? Look for some oranges. We like oranges. Well, it's the end of the season for oranges. So I found there was actually still some oranges that had been there probably for about three months is what it looked like because they're all shriveled and I grabbed them and they're soft and it's like, we're not getting oranges, right? It will bring forth its fruit in its season, not, not ahead of time, not past time, but in the perfect time. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. So here's the thing. You want to live a blessed life? You want to live your best life now? Then delight yourself in the word of God. Meditate upon it, study it, read it, and then walk in obedience to it. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But what he does is he delights himself in the law. And by the way, the he there, you know, my mom says I like to think of Psalm 1 as, you know, how blessed is the woman. Okay, that's fine. It's not a, gen it's not a gender piece. It's just referring to mankind. How blessed is the man who delights himself in the word of God. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Now, the wicked are not so. I got to hurry here. For they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. You all know what chaff is, right? It's, the, it's kind of the shell, the husk. It's the, it's the stalk that is left. It's going to blow away. And that's what it does. It just, there's nothing. There's no substance to it. It just kind of blows. And whichever way the wind blows is where it goes. And man, that's exactly what we're seeing in our culture, right? Right now, the wind blows this way. And that's where everything goes. And this is where political correctness. You wait, right? You wait a year. Sometimes it didn't take a year. Six months, and all of a sudden, it's blowing back this way. And it's so inconsistent with itself, and you're sitting there. Why? Because that's the way the wicked are. You, you, when you play off of your emotions and you turn away from truth, the wicked are like chaff. And then notice what he says. This is kind of an interesting statement. For the wicked, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Well, wait, didn't we just talk about in Jude how... God is going to judge everybody? What does it mean they won't stand? Well, the point is, judgment's going to come, but they won't stand. The, high, the idea is, is that when you stand and you're being judged, you're standing with confidence, you stand. 
When there's no confidence, when you're guilty, when it's all, you cower. You keep your head down. And when they stand before God, judgment is coming. Then he says this, the last part of verse 5, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Well, folks, when we get to judgment, where's the assembly of the righteous going to be? Man, it's in heaven, right? The, the wicked won't be there. And then he finishes with this. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. But the idea that he knows is that he, he, he sees, he, he recognizes, he has... He has a sense for it. Uh, so he watches us. And, and he knows we're not perfect. And I think many of us could probably share in our own life where sometimes we've listened to the wisdom of the world and we've made some bad decisions. But in the midst of that, he continues. He, he, he knows where we're at. And so he keeps working. And so we see that. We repent. We turn. And doesn't he so often... Save us from some of the circumstances, some of the consequences that we really deserve. I, I know he's done that with me, but he doesn't do that with the wicked. No. No, they'll perish. And that can refer to the ultimate judgment, but I think the whole point is, is here that bad decisions beget more bad decisions. Sin always begets sin. Wickedness always brings wickedness. It's this downward spiral. Read Romans chapter 1. It's just the way that it goes. And the point is that God knows the way of the righteous and he watches. He has regard for it. And he cares. And when we turn, he sometimes fixes those things that we really probably, you know, are very, very grateful for that he does fix, but not the wicked. And so he lets it play out in our life. They'll perish. And I couldn't help but think... Of that idea of the word perish is that on the other side of that, you got John 3, 16, where Jesus tells us, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. The beautiful thing is, is that there's a way to walk in blessedness, and it comes with knowing Jesus. It comes with accepting his gift, not walking under the influence of ungodliness, but walking under the influence of his word, walking in obedience to what he's called us to do. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's the way to the blessed life. 